Our gospel reading today comes from Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, and verses 24 through 37. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when this will be, and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished. Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will not rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, Keep awake. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God, our Creator and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Who doesn't love a good end times prediction? Especially these days, right? I don't mean to make light of what's happening in our world uh, right now, but it seems ironic that we're reading this kind of prediction this morning when there's all sorts of chaos around us. We often read these passages as a catastrophic prediction, right? The end of the world as we know it. And we use these passages to frighten ourselves and others into good behavior, 
so that we can earn that reward of eternal life. But that's not our church's theology, and that's not Mark's theology either. These kinds of writings are also known as apocalyptic writings, and they're meant to give congregations the perspective they need to endure until the time when all is revealed and the realm of God is fully realized. And so Mark's words aren't a dire warning to get our acts together before Jesus comes back. Instead, they are intended as a word of hope. Now for Mark's audience, the people that he's writing to, this is a direct reference to the reality of the temple's destruction in 70 CE. One commentator writes that the temple crisis is important for Jesus' apocalyptic speech in Mark. The destruction of the temple represents a catastrophe of divine presence and continuity with the past. The temple is a center of religious life, but also political and economic life too. When we read apocalyptic texts generically, it is helpful to think of them as crisis literature. Something about a given moment calls into question the righteousness of God. So for Mark's audience, the question is, if the temple is destroyed, if God no longer lives there, if God is no longer present where we expect God to be, what happens then? How do we live our lives in a new way? How do we keep on going? And you might be asking yourself these kinds of questions too. Our religious, political, and economic lives have been upended, not by a building being destroyed, but by a virus sweeping through our country and our world. The huge stones that we admire, that we felt were secure, are now in ruins, a pile of rubble, and there is much chaos and uncertainty in our lives. Do you remember that story about how to... Uh, Build your life with stones and pebbles and sand all in a jar. Let me jog your memory a little bit. So the story goes like this. A professor stood before his philosophy class, and he pulls out a big glass jar and a bag of stones. And he places the stones into the jar one by one until there isn't any room to add another. And then the professor asks his class, is the jar full? And many of the students reply, yes. He pauses for a moment, and then he pulls out a bag of pebbles and proceeds to pour those into the jar, shaking the jar so that the pebbles can rattle into all those small spaces between the stones. So then he asks the class, was the jar really full when it had all those stones in it? And they say, well, I guess not. And then the professor asks, is the jar full now? And there's some silence, and finally one voice speaks up and says, 
No. And he says, you're right. And the professor pulls out another bag full of sand, which he pours into the jar. And the sand fills the spaces in between the stones and the pebbles. And then he asks, is the jar full? And the students reply, no, in unison. They're catching on here. The professor says, you're right. And he pulls out two cups of coffee and very carefully pours those into the jar until it is full. The professor says then, if this jar represents your life, what does this experiment show you? One student says, no matter how busy we are, we think, no matter how busy we think we are, we can always take on more. And the professor says, well, that's one answer, but eventually you will burn out. Another view is that the large stones represent the big things in your life, things that are important to you. Set your priorities. If you don't place them in your jar first, you'll never have room for them later. You'll just be busy working small stuff, the pebbles and the sand. What about the coffee, someone wanted to know. And the professor smiled and said, no matter how full your life may seem, there's always room for a cup of coffee with a friend. It's a sweet modern day parable, right, about what's important and how we can carefully construct our lives. And if we feel like we've built up those stones, we've, we've set our priorities, we've placed them carefully in the jar and then filling in around it with things that are important. Uh, and we even make that time for those two cups of coffee to be poured in on top. Suddenly it feels like those carefully curated jars of stones and pebbles and sand have all been dumped out, creating a mess. In some ways, this is good. Some of the ruins have exposed where our systems of government and administration are corrupt, not benefiting the people who need it most. In the same way that the destruction of the temple revealed something similar. Our priorities have been shifted from what we thought was important and necessary. And we're learning now what truly is important and necessary. Old things are falling away and new things are being revealed. And well, our jars very well may have been dumped out and all we can see is mess. There's also an opportunity to discover God in new and exciting ways. At the heart of this Bible passage and apocalyptic literature is encouragement and hope. There's an idea that, looks, that says what looks like devastation and defeat will be God's victory. And we have seen this in our own faith tradition. Out of the theological turmoil and confusion surrounding the destruction of te the temple, there will be a new presence of God. And we remember as we continue our Lenten journey toward the cross that out of the suffering and death of the Messiah, there will be new life in the resurrection. So as Mark presents us with this story, Mark is also asking us, where do we find God? 
And the answer to Mark's question is not in the glorious temple or even our own worship space, but on the cross. Not in the city proper, but outside the city walls. Not in the center of power and authority, but in the wilderness. So where will we look for God in this upside-down Lenten season? Perhaps this is our opportunity to fill up those jars with rocks, sand, and pebbles in a new way. A way that reflects the new life that we are moving toward. To rebuild our communities when the time comes with a different foundation than what has always been done before. Mark's account of Jesus' words remind us that there are signs to look for that will signal that this new life is upon us. In the same way that we know summer is coming by the unfurling of leaves on the trees. And this is where we draw our hope. Because I believe that we don't have to wait until all these things have been accomplished before we see God at work in the world around us. I believe that God is present in each moment, offering each situation the optimum qualities for realm-like life that are possible given the circumstances of the moment. We can participate with God in the renewal of the world even now. We can take Mark's caution to heart today. The transition for the world as it is to the world as it can be is often difficult, even chaotic. And in such seasons, we must endure. But along with Mark, I believe that God is always present through the Holy Spirit to bring us that power to endure. May we watch and wait and work with anticipation and joy for the new life that is being prepared for all creation. Amen.